take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at the balance of life, and the first message is about virtue. Verses 3 through 11 will be our text today. <clears throat> there is a, a word for people who are tightrope walkers. Um, <clears throat> they're called funambulist. That's hard to say, funambulist. Did you know that? How many of you knew that was the title for a, a tightrope walker? Do you know, anybody know that? Okay, good. I taught you something today. You may not learn anything else, but you've learned that. Funambulist. In his book, Off Balance, On Purpose, business leader and funambulist uh, Dan Thurman writes that these daredevils, <clears throat> that is the funambulist, are constantly making small critical adjustments, uh, lifting their free leg as a counterweight, raising and lowering <clears throat> their arms, making adjustments to the balance pole. They're constantly doing this. A good funambulist is never truly at rest or actually on balance. As a matter of fact, here's what Thurman writes. They are perpetually off balance, <clears throat> making, <clears throat> making adjustment <clears throat> that bring them through a point of balance. You get that? They're always off balance and they make adjustments that bring them through <clears throat> a point of balance only to readjust on the other side. Most of these movements are so subtle that they are imperceptible uh, or, or imperceivable to the audience. <clears throat> they make it all look so effortless. Thurman goes on and says that it's not nearly as easy as it looks. So how <clears throat> do they maintain their balance? How does a tightrope walker maintain the balance? Well, when a new student <clears throat> or a new uh, person learning to do it steps on a rope or a cable, they almost all begin with a flawed game plan. And here's why. They stare down <clears throat> at the wire to ensure that they have proper footing. And so they fall. So what is the solution to that dilemma? How do you <clears throat> learn to keep your balance on a tightrope? Well, if you watch closely, the professional tightrope walkers never look down <clears throat> at their feet <clears throat> or the wire or on either side to, uh, with their hands or at the balance pole even. Rather, here's what they do. They keep their eyes steady and straight ahead, and they look at the platform on <clears throat> the other side. They never look down at their feet. Now, I said that because I want to share with you a series about balance and moving forward. And as believers, <clears throat> we should uh, learn how to keep our head up and move forward toward the goal at all times. And it requires tremendous balance. Now, how do you keep <clears throat> your balance? How do you keep from being sidetracked? How do you keep from being tilted from one side to <clears throat> another? Sometime near the end of last year, I thought about <clears throat> preaching this series on the balance of life or the balance of the Christian life. <clears throat> so I sat down at my computer one day and I began to list some things and write out some things. Okay, if I write these things, this is going to bring us to a, an understanding of balance. And I began to make a list. And then some of the <clears throat> items on my list were like other things that I'd already said. And, and I, I had a list of five, and then it was 10, and then it was 15, and then it was uh, <clears throat> way too long for a series on a Sunday morning. And, and I remembered, I remembered that one of my favorite passages 
actually one that I used in the first message of the month of December. One of my favorite ma- passages tells really about everything you need to know <clears throat> about balance in your life and balance in your spiritual life. Whatever we say in this series not only applies to your life, but it applies <clears throat> to your spiritual life as well. And in this passage, God Himself gives us seven ingredients to balancing our lives, seven ingredients that help us to keep our focus uh, forward and keep moving <clears throat> forward in our spiritual lives. This is from Second Peter chapter 1. We begin in verse 3. This will be the same text. We won't read it all every time, but this will be the same text every Sunday for the next seven Sundays. So you might as well uh, memorize this or get used to it. Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now we learn a lot in this uh, passage of Scripture. We certainly learn, as the Bible says, we learn to to keep our balance and to move forward without falling. Specifically given to us are these seven areas of growth or seven balance points, as I'm going to be thinking of them. Seven areas where if if we get out of balance on this one, we'll, we'll <clears throat> correct ourselves, not look down at your feet, not look down at the path, but as the Bible teaches, keep your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of your faith. So <clears throat> you, you take this balance point and you walk forward in your life with your eyes on Jesus, understanding that there are these seven things that you're always going <clears throat> to be adjusting. So to that end, we start with verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue knowledge. Now notice that it says, excuse me, for this very reason. By the way, one of my New Year's resolutions is to kill the frog. Uh, Notice that it says, for this very reason. What reason is being referenced? What reason is is it talking about here? It says, for this very reason, add these things. Well, for the reason that we have become partakers of the divine nature. So I would say it like this to you. For the reason of the fact of having been born again, and if you're born again, you know it, 
<clears throat> and for reason of the fact that you've been born again, if you have been, you should add these seven things to your life. To our status as believers, we're to add these seven things, the first of which is <clears throat> virtue. Now, virtue means a spirit of excellence. We're going to talk about something regarding the spirit of excellence or excellence in life today. There is a sister verse to this. I like to think of it as a sister verse because I think it teaches the virtues that we should have in our spiritual lives. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there be any excellence, if there be anything worthy of praise, think about these things. To our spiritual lives, we're to add a spirit of excellence or a grace of excellence in our uh, lives. Now, there is more to virtue than moral excellence, although moral excellence is certainly a part of virtue. But there's more to it than moral excellence. And we're going to look at three areas of excellence today as they relate to getting and maintaining virtue in our lives. The first one is personal excellence. You ought to write that down. Or if you've you've got your app open on your your, uh, smartphone or on an iPad, then make note of it as it's there in the outline for you that there's to be personal excellence. How many of you know someone who is a highly driven person? Would you raise your hand? You know someone who is a highly driven person. All right. That is, there's no pursuit in life that is haphazard to that person. Everything is done from a highly driven position. Everything is done with the purpose and the commitment to excellence. Now, if that person is a Christian, if that person is a believer, the spirit of excellence with which he or she pursues life adds to the faith that he or she has in their life. So if you're a person of faith and you are a highly driven uh, person of excellence, then that adds to your faith. It doesn't take away from your faith. It adds to your faith. Now, you may not consider yourself to be a highly driven person, but that doesn't mean that you cannot or should not have a spirit of personal excellence in your life. In fact, I believe that every believer, and I think that's what this passage is teaching, that every believer should add to their faith excellence in life, virtue in life, including personal excellence. Now, there are several ways that you can look at personal excellence. We don't have the the time needed to look at all of the ways, so I'm going to boil them down to three ways to look at, at personal excellence in your life. There are many more. You can make far more application than I'm making, so I, I don't want you to think, well, that's all he could think of. I could think of more, and you can think of more, and I hope that you do, first of all. There should be personal excellence in our lives regarding our health. There's something that the Apostle Paul said about his sense of virtue regarding his body as it is, uh, relates to his effectiveness in ministry. Here's what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
Now, at some point in this series, we're going to discuss the importance of stewardship. We're going to talk about stewardship. And that being said, we should understand that stewardship is not just of our finances. It's not just of our personal property. We have a stewardship of life. We have a stewardship of our bodies and of our health. Let me ask you this question. I'm not going uh, and, to, and I'm not going to look at anybody because I don't know. I would think that all of us have some guilt in this. Are you doing something in your life that you can and perhaps, uh, that, that can and perhaps will cut your lifespan short? Are you doing something that you know has the potential to cut your lifespan short? For instance, if every time you get on uh, the, <clears throat> the interstate, you, you drive your car 110 miles an hour. Every, every time you get on the interstate, you drive your car 110 miles an hour. I can promise you that that has the potential to cut your lifespan short. Wouldn't you agree with that? And so <clears throat> the answer to that is don't drive 110 miles an hour. Uh, on the interstate or anywhere for that matter, because we know that it's going to cut our lifespan short or it has the potential to do so. Now, there may be something else and probably is something else that all of us are doing in our lives that we know has the potential of cutting our lifespan short. Now, here's the question. Why are we doing those things that we know have the potential to cut our lifespan short? Or why are we failing to do those things that we know will help us in our health and ability to serve and glorify God? Why are we not doing the things that we should? <clears throat> why are we doing the things that we shouldn't do? And, and let me say this. We all have challenges with our bodies. And we all have challenges with our body types. We all do. But we should understand that God has given to each of us the body that he intends for us to have. My friend Eli in this church uh, is, is, everybody knows Eli. Eli, uh, people say, how can Eli keep himself so thin? That's not an issue for Eli. Eli's issue is just the opposite. He has a hard time gaining weight. You say, boy, I wish that that was my problem. No, you don't wish that was your problem. Because God gave you the body type that he wants you to have, and he gave me the body type that he wants me to have, and Eli the body type that he should have. Here's what God wants. God wants us to be stewards of our health and understand our God-given responsibility to glorify him in the bodies that he has given us. Now, that being said, I am not responsible for anyone else other than me. I'm not responsible for uh, maintaining your body. I'm not responsible for what you put in your body. I'm not responsible for <clears throat> anything regarding your body. You are responsible for your own body. And in conjunction with what we're talking about today, we should maintain our bodies with a sense of personal excellence. 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now let me say something hastily here. I am not talking about our looks. I'm not talking about uh, how beautiful or handsome you may be. I'm not talking about how beautiful or handsome you have the potential to be. 
I'm talking about our ability to serve God. And there should be a sense of personal excellence within us because we know that our bodies are made for serving God. So we should have a balance in our health. Here's the second area. We should have a balance in the happenings of our lives. Now, bear with me on these H's and P's and all that because I work pretty hard at it and and it's not all that easy all the time. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now, I'm going to confess something to you. There are a lot of things that I know how to do that I wouldn't do well if I did them myself. There are a lot of things. I mean, I know how to do them, and I know how they're supposed to be, and I know how to get to where they're supposed to be. But I know personally that I wouldn't do well if I tried to make them happen. Uh, I'm glad for the people in my life who help me in those areas, and they help me to maintain a spirit of excellence. And, And let me just say this. I'm talking about everything from mowing and landscaping to taking care of automobiles and computers. There are a lot of those things <clears throat> that I can do, I know how to do, and, and uh, I, I know how it should look when it's uh, over or how it should work when it's over. However, I also know that I would not do them with a spirit of excellence. Now, they're all important to me. I'm just glad that I've got people that will help me with them. I, I, they are important, as important to me as the things that I do directly. For instance, preaching sermons is very important to me. It's very, very important to me. I studied for this message many, many, many weeks ago because preaching is very important to me. It's what God called me to do. Leadership is very important to me. Trying to be a help in people's lives and counseling and comforting is very important to me. Uh, By the way, washing and ironing my own shirts is very important to me. It really is. So I do all of those things myself because these are the happenings of my life. The happenings of a Christian's life should not be haphazard. The happenings of a Christian life should be excellent. That's the virtue that we add to our faith. And here's another area of personal excellence, and then we'll move on. And that is the area of honor. We should be excellent in our health, our happenings, our honor, and you continue the list in your life. It will be fine for you to have a longer list than three. This is something that we'll say more about as this series progresses, but we should get it in front of us early. All of us who are saved represent Jesus Christ. If we call ourselves Christians and and represent Jesus Christ, then we must have a sense of personal excellence and honor because we are a reflection on Jesus Christ. If Christians are not personally uh, honorable, then the rest of their influence is really a moot point. You can say all that you want to say about how well you could sing or how well you could teach or how well you could do this or how well you could do that, even how much you give and and so forth and so on. You can say all of those things. But if you do not have in your life a sense of personal honor, then that is a moot point. 
We're talking about seven balance points in our lives and how we achieve these balances to be able to move forward to the goal of glorifying God and keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ. The first one is the word virtue. Virtue means a spirit of excellence, and we must have personal excellence. Here's the second area of excellence. There must be professional excellence. Outside of your family and church family, all of us have a profession. All of us have some aspect of our lives that this is what we do. This is who we are and what we do with our time. Now, whether it's a career, a job, a vocation, a place of education, or those things that that occupy your time during your retirement years, whatever it is, those are the professions of your life. Now, what is your reputation among those who occupy that part of life with you? The people who occupy that professional life with you, what is your reputation among them? Do you know that your reputation among them, if you name the name of Christ, is a reflection on your Christian faith? And it's an important balance point in your life. Do you have someone who does work for you and you can always depend on them? Always. There's never a time that you can't depend on them. In fact, you won't go to anyone else with the kind of issues that they deal with because you know that they will do what they say, they'll do it well, and they will do it on time. Do you know some people like that? Do you have somebody in your life who is like that? Somebody that you call on from time to time? This is the person you call on? Now, let me ask you this. Do you know someone who is the exact opposite of that? Do you know someone who is never on time? They never finish what they start. They never uh, uh, keep their word. They never, they never, they're always late and so forth and so on. Now, here's the question. It's not about them. It's about you. Which one are you? Are you the one who is always uh, dependable, or are you the one who is never quite as dependable as others expected you to be? It makes a difference in your spiritual life. I want you to think about your profession. Think about the people who are around you in your life and how you pursue life and how they see you in the pursuit of your life. Here's the second thing, and that is the second thing, your pursuit of your profession. There's a difference between the person who is virtuous in profession and the one who lives aimlessly. You know what the Bible calls the person who lives an aimless life? Calls them sluggards. That doesn't even sound good, does it? Not cool at all. They're sluggards. Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Paul addressed this when he spoke of the race that we're running in 1 Corinthians 9, 26. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not uh, box as one beating the air. I'm not a sluggard. My pursuit of my profession is done with excellence. Now, that was just before, by the way. He said that just before he said that he kept his body disciplined. 
So he understood that there was a virtue that he had to have in his life, a spirit of excellence in his life. He had to maintain his body. He had to maintain his profession and the pursuit of his profession. And all of that, you know what it all all turns out to? Your product. Now I want to give you a concept that some of you know all about and some of you never heard of this before. But all of us have a brand. We are a product and all of us have a brand. My bachelor's degree is in marketing. I have a, a degree in business administration and marketing, a minor in uh, economics. And so I, I have a, a degree in marketing and I understand something about product branding. All of us have a brand. Here's what our text would tell us. It tells us to make our brand one of virtue, one of personal and professional excellence. It will make us more confident in our faith and more effective as a witness for Jesus Christ. Now, what is your brand? Think about that. Most of you, if you've been off for the holidays, you're going to go back to work tomorrow. When you go back to work tomorrow, I want you to think to yourself as you you walk inside your workplace or get in your truck or whatever it is that you do, I want you to think to yourself, all right, now what is my brand? When others see me, what does my label look like? I'll tell you this, when you go to the uh, grocery store, you don't have a hard time recognizing Campbell's soup, do you? You don't have a hard time recognizing Cheerios. You don't have a hard time uh, recognizing uh, Welch's grape juice or Coke versus Pepsi. They're all clearly branded. Did you know you are too? You are clearly branded. People look at you in a unique and a special way. You have a product in your life. Now, what is your product? What is your brand? That's a little scary, isn't it? And, and while I'm there, and, and I, I want to hasten here, but while I'm there, I want to say this. It's important for us not to be fixated on ourselves, but to have some sense, some sense of self-awareness so that we will get an idea of how other people see us, what our brand is. People see you. People notice you. And your brand is what their impression is of you on an ongoing basis. What's their impression of you? That's your brand. You said, Pastor Ray, why are you talking about this? Because the Bible talks about that one of the things we ought to add to our faith is excellence. It's virtue. And and that's in the personal aspect of our lives. That's in the professional aspect of our lives. Here's the last thing. That's in the proper aspect of our lives. We're going to talk about propriety or proper excellence. What are we talking about? What we're talking about here is morality. Old-fashioned, politically incorrect morality. That's a part of our virtue. It could be a part of life and should be a part of life of every believer. Every believer should have a personal compass of personal morality. Now, to be sure, we have a compass of how we measure the morality of others. But what about our own morality? 
Let me share something with you that'll help you to understand just the general area of morality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, a very immoral group. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Personal morality, proper excellence is something that we plan for. It's not something that just happens. You plan for personal propriety. You plan for personal excellence and proper excellence. I'm not going to tell you that it's more important than personal and professional excellence, but I will say this about proper excellence or propriety in our lives. It can be a disqualifier. Professional excellence may not be a disqualifier. It'll cause you some struggles. Personal excellence, you'll have to step over your lack of personal excellence to do whatever you do in life. But if there is a matter of proper excellence that you're not pursuing, well, that can be a disqualifier. When we fail morally, it affects our family, it affects our ministry, it affects our profession, it affects our friendships, and it affects our reputation. I want to give you just two areas uh, to control regarding moral excellence, and then we're done. First of all, I've already mentioned it, the word propriety. Propriety is a vital understanding in our pursuit of moral excellence. When it comes to our relationship with those who are not married or are married, uh, 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 excuse me, when it comes to our relationship with those uh, we are not married to or are married themselves, there's a barrier that is undefined, but it is clearly known. I want to say that again. When it comes to someone that you have an association with who is not married to you, whether you're married or not, when it comes to that kind of a relationship, there is a barrier that is clearly known, even though it's undefined. I, I will tell you personally, and some of you may not like what I'm about to say, but I personally detest some of the sexual harassment definitions and, and some of the, the silliness of, of some of the things that, that being said. That does not negate, my, my disdain for some of those things does not negate the importance of propriety. We can relate to people around us without flirting with them. We can. Uh, a man can say to a lady, if your workplace allows it, I cannot believe I'm saying that, a man can say to a lady, you look nice today. And he can say it in more than one way and more than one meaning. A man can say that. And a woman can say that as well. I told my wife the other day that I got hit on in Costco. I did. I absolutely did. 
This lady walked up to me. Jan was somewhere else. She walked up to me, looked me right in the eye, and said, where's the frozen food section? I felt so dirty. In all seriousness, in all seriousness, I don't think that it requires a handbook or sensitivity training to know the difference between, you look nice today, and, hey, you look nice today. I don't think there's a, I don't think there requires, men and women who are walking near the line or stepping across it, they know what they're doing. They know it. Let me read you a, a scripture that has no reference to, uh, bearing on this at all, but you'll understand in a minute. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You say, well, now how does that apply? Well, let me give you another version. When I was a single, I spoke like a single. I thought like a single. I reasoned like a single. When I became married, I gave up single ways. I know everybody's afraid to say amen, but they ought to say it all at once. Amen. Look, I I think you get the picture. (sighs) Propriety leads to purity. 1 Peter 1, 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. It's a difficult to think about purity in this impure world, but it's still a thing and something to be added to our spiritual walk. I'm going to close with this, reading you this illustration. We're done. In 1860, Milton Bradley invented a simple board game and called it the checkered game of life. The good path included honesty and bravery. The difficult path included idleness and disgrace. Industry and perseverance led to wealth and success. Bradley described it as a highly moral game that encourages children to lead exemplary lives and entertains both old and young with the spirit of friendly competition. In 1960, a hundred years later, Milton Bradley Company released a commemorative edition they simply called the Game of Life. It sold 35 million copies. In this game, you earn money, you buy furniture, you have babies, Vices and virtues are non-existent in the 1960 version. The winner of the game is the one who, at the life's day of reckoning, makes the most money and retires to millionaire acres. In 1990, Milton Bradley, they designed the game again, and they tried to make it less about money. They emphasized good deeds like saving an endangered species or solving a pollution problem. However, the only reward for these good deeds is cash. You can earn as much by winning at a you can earn as much by winning at a reality TV show as you can by the game of life. In 2011, a version was reintroduced. In this version, you can attend school, you can travel, you can start a family or whatever you want to do. If you earn enough points, you can reward yourself with a sports car. There is no end or last square to the game. 
You can stop at any time. The box says, a thousand ways to live your life, you choose. Values are up for grabs. And you get as many points for scuba diving as you do donating a kidney. The description of the website says, do whatever it takes to retire in style with the most wealth at the end of the game. This is what we're up against, folks. Virtue. Add it to your family. Add it to your faith. 